Our text this morning is taken from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. This is actually a parenthesis. Paul uh, begins the prayer that uh, is so familiar to us in verse 14 at verse 1. Then all of a sudden he just breaks off and returns to the discussion that he had at the end of chapter 2. And so it's what we call a parenthesis, and uh, really is reflecting on his personal uh, investment and uh, participation in the things that he was talking about in chapter 2. This is what he says. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulation on your behalf, For they are your glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are uh, once again astounded by the fact that you took this man who was uh, so uh, against uh, your working among his people, among the Jews, how he persecuted them and uh, uh, had them jailed, sometimes, Lord, even stoned. And then by your grace you transformed him and sent him uh, to the Gentiles to bring them into the church and gave to him one of the most astounding ministries in all of church history. And we thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to see him reflect on part of your grace to him in that regard and ask that its enduring principles might find a home in our lives as well as we give attention to it by the great working of your spirit. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Bruce Larson, the author, writes um, that when he was a small boy, uh, he attended a church in Chicago. He says it was a a Presbyterian church. He says it was a great Gothic uh, cathedral. And uh, he says the preaching was, uh, was fantastic. He said the, the music was uh, wonderful. It was memorable. 
says, but for him, the most awesome moment in the entire service uh, was when uh, 12 ushers uh, would march together uh, in unison, in step, right down the center aisle to get the brass uh, plates and to, uh, to pass them out to the uh, congregation to receive the offering. The reason it was so important to him is because there was a man, one of the ushers, by the name of Frank Lush. Uh, he wasn't a very imposing man. He was a Chicago businessman. But he was also a living legend. Because he had uh, stood up against Al Capone. Um, if you know anything about the history of Chicago or the history of the early uh, part of last century, you know that Al Capone literally controlled Chicago in the 20s, in the Prohibition era. And, uh, and local authorities, even the FBI, for many years were afraid to, to go after the guy because he had so much power, he was so brutal, and uh, nobody wanted to go near him. But Frank uh, Lush was a, was a Christian layman, and he was determined to do everything that he could do to get this guy out of, out of Chicago and into prison where he belonged. And so he organized this group called the Chicago Crime Commission. No government help, no government support, just he and other citizens like himself who desired nothing more than to help clean up their city. Well, during the months that this crime commission uh, met, uh, Frank's life was, uh, was threatened. The lives of his family and friends were, were threatened and at risk. Uh, he, uh, he suffered uh, persecution in some uh, sense, but he never wavered. And ultimately, in large measure to his work, Capone was put away, tried, convicted, because of what he and the commission had actually uh, done. Of course, the, the authorities were involved in all of that, but they had put together the, uh, the vast majority of the evidence. The reason this was important to Larson was because he recognized that Frank Lesh had, had literally risked his life for his faith. And he said that every Sunday morning, when this guy was among the 12 that would walk down there, Larson's father, who would sit next to him, would poke him in the ribs with his elbow and just, once again, point at him. He says every once in a while he'd look and he'd see tears in his father's eyes because his father so respected Frank Lesh. And he said, for my dad and for all of us, he says, this was and is what authentic living is all about as a Christian. Well, I mean, we would have to say the same thing about the Apostle Paul, because when we look at his life, we recognize that here, too, is a man who lived an authentic life. He embraced the grace of God to him, no matter how it came, and he lived it out to the best of his ability with the strength that God supplied. And he becomes an outstanding example of that for us. And because that is the case, there are enduring principles that we see in the way in which he, he acted and embraced the grace of God to himself that apply to us as well. So the question I want to answer is, is how does Paul's example to embrace the grace of God affect us? Well, First of all, he's an example in the way he saw his circumstances. Secondly, he was an example to us in the way in which he handled his ministry. Third, he's an example to us in the way that he delights in God's manifold wisdom. 
And so that's the way the, the text proceeds, and that's the way I want to proceed this morning. First, Paul's an example of the way in which he perceives his circumstances. We see that in verse 1. I think it was Howard Hendricks, if I remember, the great Bible teacher from Dallas Theological Seminary, who uh, one day uh, greeted a friend. He said, uh, how are you? And his friend, uh, friend responded, he says, uh, I'm all right uh, under the circumstances. And Hendricks turned around immediately and said, what are you doing under there? But really, that's, that's the way we often feel about our circumstances. When they're perplexing or they're burdensome, we feel as though somehow we're under the load of those things. But Paul didn't seem to think that way quite as well. He, he didn't see his circumstances that way. And he says that very clearly in verse 1. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, we have to remember, Paul was in jail in Rome because he'd been accused by the Jews of breaking their laws. Paul didn't consider himself a prisoner of the Jews. He was in jail under Roman authority, chained to a Roman guard. But he didn't consider himself a prisoner of the Romans. Paul had appealed to the emperor. But he didn't consider himself a prisoner of the emperor. What's noticeable here is that Paul considered himself prisoner of Jesus Christ, precisely because he acknowledged that it was Christ who had called him, Christ who required of him a response to the grace that he brought to him in Jesus Christ. And so whatever he did, wherever he went, he knew that everything was under the control of Jesus Christ. He wasn't worried about what the principalities and powers. He wasn't worried about what the emperor said. He wasn't worried about the accusations of the Jews. Government, religion, those things couldn't hold him. They couldn't bind him. They couldn't imprison him. Because he knew that every circumstance that came his way came to him from the hand of God specifically. And in fact, He understood his imprisonment as coming to him from Jesus Christ. Now, perspective is all important. In fact, how we view our circumstances is generally far more important than the circumstances themselves. See, if all we can see is our immediate circumstance, it controls us, right? If our circumstances are good, we feel happy. If our circumstances are bad... We feel lousy. If that's all we can see is our circumstances, what our immediate life is all about, or our fear of the future, we are controlled by those things. Now, Paul had seen only his immediate circumstances. If all he could think about was every morning he woke up chained to this, this, this guard, and it was never going to be any different until the day he lost his head, he might have been in despair. But that's not the way he viewed his circumstances every day. In fact, he viewed his circumstances very differently because Paul's perspective was the divine perspective because of his total trust 
in God's purposes. Now, he didn't understand what his future might hold. He didn't understand what God wanted to do with him, necessarily. He didn't know all the jots and tittles, all the purposes behind his affliction. But what he did know, what he did know was the very word of God that came to him as he was writing in Romans, where he says, God causes all things to work for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purposes, as Bill preached on last week. And that's why, as we saw when we looked at James, we are to consider it all joy when we encounter various trials and afflictions. Because as Peter says, we know that trials and afflictions increase our faith, and our faith increases our hope, and those things increase our godliness and our capacity to live lives the way the Lord wants us to. And Paul understood that. In fact, in the portion of Scripture that we read out of Philippians, he speaks very specifically about what he understood his affliction, his imprisonment, to be bringing about by the hand of God. He knew his circumstances had, quote, turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Now, you have to understand, it doesn't just, just, his imprisonment for Christ didn't just kind of hang around in the cell with him or in that house. The entire Praetorian Guard, everybody that was chained to him, everybody that had any relationship with him, began to understand what was going on, and it went beyond them. He says, and most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. That's how he understood his circumstances. Yeah, he could have woken up and he could have sniveled and he cried and said, oh, gee, I'm not going to be able to get to Spain today because I'm tied to this guy. No, he understood his circumstances very differently. That in the hands of God, the gospel was going forward through what he was suffering. Through his disappointment at it, through his, through his wishing that it were different, but at the same time through his, through his submission of God's will. So, brethren, when we're bored, when we're sick, when we're broke, when we're unemployed, when we're tired, when we're lonely or overwhelmed, that comes to us because God has decreed it. And it's at that very point that we come face to face with, I think, one of the most difficult struggles in the Christian life, and that is to surrender, to submit ourselves, lock, stock, and barrel, to, the God, to God's purpose in whatever that circumstance is. To commit ourselves, our lives, the lives of those we love, the things that we own, the hopes and the dreams that we have, all of it, to God, whether we like the circumstance or not. And few things strike us so deeply and so hard. We can mouth the words. We can say we want to submit. But the reality of doing so, brethren, as you know, is far different. It's hard. It is a, it is a gut-wrenching struggle. Back and forth, back and forth. This, this tension between wanting to do what God desires from us and wanting to do what we want to do, to control our lives. Because we, we feel as though to be responsible people, we have to be in control. We have to determine. It's ours. 
Paul's perspective was that it was not. He was responsible to carry out to the best of his ability what he knew God wanted him to do, just as we are. But he knew that when a curveball came, it came from God. And he was to go with it. The only way that you and I, I think in many respects, can, can really see our, our wills bent to the will of God is to do exactly what David did in Psalm 51. And that was to cry out to God. He says, sustain me with a willing spirit. Lord, I, I don't have a willing spirit as it ought to be willing, but I want to have a willing spirit. Sustain me. Give it to me. Because given my own flesh, I will rebel every time. Secondly, Paul's an example for us in the way he handles his ministry, verses 2 through 9. Paul had previously told his readers that God had commissioned him to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And he describes it here with these words. He says that he has the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you. Now, most of us know what stewardship means. It means being given responsibility by a landowner or a boss or something else to to carry out certain responsibilities in their stead. We see it time and again throughout Scripture. Joseph is one of the, uh, the famed examples. But Paul also saw the ministry that God had given to him as a matter of stewardship. And he didn't choose it. It was given to him. And he says it came to him as a, as a matter of God's grace. And he received it that way. But it also became a matter of dispensing grace. Not only did he receive it by grace, but it became a means of grace to others as he exercised it in the way that God called him to do. In fact, it was so important to him that in 1 Corinthians 4.1 he says, He asked that men, quote, might regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That's how he wanted to be thought of. As a servant, as a steward of the mysteries of God. Now, we're no different than Paul in many respects. Because God has given to us many blessings. And he's called us to be good stewards of those things. It may be our education, maybe our family, maybe our relationships, maybe our job, our position, maybe our health, maybe our looks, maybe maybe any number of things that he's given to us. But every one that we have is from him, and every one that we have is entrusted back to him. That's what it means for us to be good stewards, to, to receive these things, and then to treat them and use them as we ought to, either to dispense good to one another within the body of Christ, or to use them to bring others into the body of Christ. So it is that Peter says that, that we are to act as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. A part of that good stewardship, of course, is, is encouraging it in one another, isn't it? We're not always clear exactly how to do so. And if you look at the life of Jesus, of course, you see a really good example of that because he understood par excellence how to encourage good stewardship and holiness, godliness, and everything else in the lives of his 
disciples. In John 15, 16, he says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. What's he saying there? He says, I didn't wait for you to come to me. I took the initiative. But then he moves on and he says, I'll tell you what that initiative was. It is this. He says, I chose you and appointed you, quote, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. In other words, Jesus took the initiative, approached his disciples, and gave them the grace and the gifting to carry out the ministries that he wanted them to carry out. And he sustained them with a sense of his love and his strength and his prayer on their behalf. And in fact, what we see in the scriptures is that through that, this this sniveling little band of cowards, once they hit the Garden of Gethsemane, that's all you can call them, because they fled, then they hid in the upper room, all because the Jews were out gnashing their teeth looking for them. These same men turned the world upside down through their preaching of the gospel and their giving up of themselves to that which God had called them to do. That was his gift of grace to them. And we are to be instruments, as it were, of that same grace to one another. And there's great need for that grace. Because there isn't one of us in this, in this congregation that doesn't at times feel as though we're, well, what Chuck Swindoll would say, um, feels like being a frog. As he says, slimy, ugly, and disgusting. He says, the frog feeling comes when, quote, when you want to share, but you're selfish. When you want to be thankful, but you're filled with resentment. When you want to be great, but you're small. When you want to, be, when you want to care, but you're indifferent. Yes, he says, at one time or another, each of us has found himself on a lily pad, floating down the great river of life, frightened and disgusted, but too frightened to budge. There are times that we all find ourselves there. And so how do we break out of that? Or help someone else break out of it? The answer, brethren, is found in a fairy tale that we all know. You remember the fairy tale of the the prince who was a frog? Right? He looked like a frog, but really he was a prince. But the only reason he looked like a frog was because the wicked witch, right, had cast a spell on him. And so all of a sudden, this beautiful, handsome prince, bang, looks like a frog, feels like a frog, croaks like a frog, smells like a frog. Okay? And what's he need to be saved, to be redeemed? The kiss of a beautiful maiden, of a beautiful princess. And yes, miracles still happen. Because lo and behold, this princess comes along, she becomes enamored with this frog, and she gives a big smooch, and all of a sudden, crash, boom, zap, pow! The frog turns into a prince. Is that a fantastic story or what? 
And what is our task as Christians? It is, it is kissing frogs. Right? Or allowing ourselves to be kissed when we feel like a frog. We are to make one another kings and queens, princes and princesses. We are to promote and build up one another to the best of our ability. I dare say that there are countless numbers of people in the body of Christ who have never reached their potential simply because no one's ever encouraged them. No one has ever prayed for them, befriended them, affirmed them. Think of the the heights that, that people might have reached had others just taken an interest in them. Now, most of us might feel as though we just, we don't have real gifts in that area. But you know something? Small word of encouragement, a compliment, a hope and an expectation for that person. Reaching out, putting your hand on their shoulder and saying, you know, that dream is worth pursuing. It may seem like such a small, insignificant thing to us, but in the hands of God, it is mighty and powerful to plumb the depths of the human spirit and to plant there a strength and a motivation that that we can't even begin to calculate. And it can have powerful and long-lasting effects. But finally, Paul says that he is an example for us and that the light he takes in God's manifold wisdom in verses 10 through 13 verse 10, he says that God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Now, scholars go back and forth. You you read commentators and they're really split on the issue. You know, who are these principalities and powers? Who are these authorities? Are they the good angels or are they the fallen angels? Well, I mean, you can find cases to, to muster on both sides. I don't know which one it is. It could be both for all I know. But what we do know is that Paul's point here is that God is demonstrating to those heavenly beings, whoever they are, the manifold wisdom that he displays through the church. And specifically this, that he brings together in this redeemed body, this redeemed community, People who are so radically different and so horribly fallen. That was the context, of course, between the Jews and the Gentiles. This is like mixing oil and water. How in the world can you bring those two together? And that is precisely the point. God does bring desperate people together. And so it is the heavenly beings. They they look down and they, they say, oh my goodness. How did God do that? He's got these people with these cultural prejudices and and these different colors, skins and different languages and and, and different habits and backgrounds. And they love each other. And they praise him together. And they care for each other. How did he get such disagreeable, difficult creatures to do that? What manifold wisdom does God have? 
It is precisely by our unity as his people that we declare literally before the heavenly beings the power, the wisdom, and the glory of God's work in and through his church. In June 2002, a group of, uh, of nine miners was rescued from a flooded coal mine in western, Mass- uh, western Pennsylvania. You may remember it. And, uh, you know, when they, when they got these guys out, I mean, gas stations, convenience stores, everything all over the place had signs plastered, nine alive, prayers answered, because they'd all been saved. But you know, that wasn't the best part of it. The best part of it was the story that went largely untold. And that was how they conducted themselves in the mine. When the waters came rushing in and they knew they couldn't get out, they all banded together. And they committed themselves that they would either all survive or they would all die. They shared everything they had in common. One guy had a sandwich, another guy had a soda. They all nine partook of the soda and of the sandwich in order to keep one another from floating away in the water in unconsciousness, they literally tied themselves to each other so that couldn't happen. And there was one tiny little section of dry ground above the water that in turn, each of them got a chance to use and to get out of that dark, wet place. And when those nine men came out and they told that part of the story, it demonstrated what remarkable unity even very unfamiliar people can have with one another. And this is the kind of unity that that demonstrates to the heavenly beings the the wisdom of God. When, When you and I share the things that we have, when, when we bind ourselves to one another, when we are committed to each other, when we have concern for each other. Brother, and this is, as it were, an incomparable calling, because all the principalities and powers are waiting to see if you and I, this week, today, are going to live that way. And whether we, by the way in which we conduct ourselves with one another, are really going to show the wisdom of God through the church. A man moved from Colorado uh, to Texas, and he he built a large house. And uh, the front of the house, he built this great big picture window. It's magnificent. And uh, and it looked out over hundreds of square miles of, of, of beautiful rangeland. Now, the only problem, he thought, was this. There's nothing to see. About the same time, a Texan moved to Colorado. And uh, he built himself a house. And he built a large picture window in the front of it, overlooking the Rockies. And as he put it, the only problem is I can't see anything. He says, those mountains are in the way. And people have a way of missing what's right in front of them. It is true, we do. 
Most of us live our lives with far too little awareness of the significance, the cosmic significance of what we are as the redeemed people of God. We can go through day by day, we can go through all of our activities, integrate you know, our relationships, take care of our responsibilities, but we forget that in God's plan, these things have a very important place. And we don't take enough time to meditate on the reality of that. And the offshoot, of course, is that our lives often lack the, the flavor and aroma of eternity and of something weighty and significant. Because when we, when we fail to acknowledge what God actually says we are and what we are about, we fall in line with everybody else around us whose lives are not weighty and are not significant. And Paul, Paul was a man who understood what God had called him to do and who God had called him to be. And it formed the way in which he understood his circumstances. It formed the way in which he took responsibility for his ministry. And it gave him great joy to be part of displaying the manifold wisdom of God before the heavenly beings. I pray that each one of us might be more like him in the coming days, weeks, and months. That our lives might, by the simple contemplation of what we are, what we are called to be, find a new weightiness and a new significance attached to what we do. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, you know how busy we get and how important we think that busyness is and how we can attach a value to all the things that we do that make it seem as though actually sitting and thinking about biblical concepts and realities and how they impact us and apply to us just doesn't quite make it onto the list. And yet because of that, Lord, I I dare say every one of us, to some degree or other, lives a far less rich and satisfying life than we could if we did. Lord, we don't want to come to the end of our days wishing that we had had. We want to come to the end of our days being glad that we did. And we ask that you would grant us that, that we might walk more consciously and deliberately in light of what Scripture says we are and reality is and our work in this world really is about. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.